0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and on today's episode, it is a Chicago White Sox preview, a resurrection, if you will, because this team is loaded with talent. There are a lot of players that fans are just dying and chomping at the bit, wait, uh, just waiting to see. And we're going to talk all about it here, and it's baseball week. So let's keep it rolling. We've got two guests here, two resident guests two men my my left hand my right hand right here coming on first we got Dave Rispoli how are you Dave
1: Joey I'm so excited to be talking about the current roster and not having to talk about the 1902 White Sox
0: (laughs) welcome to the future my friend it's not yeah Delmonico it's baby it's not yeah Taffy Wright uh we're talking 2020 White Sox today and uh he's been with us all week Mike Choi, how are you my friend
2: Joey, we can finally put it on the board. Yes, looking forward f- to baseball this I week. No, we can finally cinch it up and hunker down, strap it in, strap it
0: down. We got some picks to click finally on this team. And if anyone's been watching these last two days, just these glimpses of the potential of how fun and exciting this White Sox team is going to be are already on full display. Uh, they've played the Cubs the last two days. The first game, we saw Luis Robert hitting screamers all over the field into the Ivy. We saw Yasmani Grandal lacing doubles. We saw Edwin Conancion hitting lasers down the line. And then yesterday, we saw Eloy Jimenez uh, hit a grand slam. Mankata returned to the lineup and get a hit. There's a lot to like right now. So let's just start, kind of start with the obvious. Dave, what are you most excited about with this White Sox team heading into the season?
1: Um, well, for me – it's just to watch some baseball. Can we start at like a base level? Yeah, let's you know? start
0: there. We'll work our way up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's work. Let's work our way up. We're in our thirties. We have to stretch now before we start working out. So I agree with you. We'll start there.
1: Yeah, I mean they don't. They, you know, it's not exactly the NBA bubble, but uh, it's it's going to be fun. And I think you know what I'm excited about this year is just to kind of, for me as a fan, this is just we get a little baseball. I'm going to enjoy every part of it. But really, I'm looking towards 2021 because i think on paper i am really really excited about this team but health is going to play a big factor so i'm just trying to see in these next you know what is it 60 games um just, just what we have for 2021 and can we get them all healthy through it but i'm just excited to have baseball
0: yeah, some, some weird heightened spring training where it actually does mean something, you, but you're not necessarily fully buying in. So there's a scenario where it could go either way, right, where the White Sox play out of their minds and awesome. And then in 2021, it's like World Series or bust. Or if they stumble yeah. and show a little bit of their youth and experience, it's also – Ah, eh, you know, the kids are still learning. We got some at-bats in, and then let's roll it into the real stuff in 2021.
1: Yeah, you keep hearing from fans that, like, we're built to win now. You know, we're, like, building to win, but it's like, I don't think they mean 2020.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> like, I don't think anyone means 2020 in general when they're referencing anything involving winning.
0: Mike, uh, I want to ask you what you're most excited about, and I'm going to maybe take a guess. Your background right now, for the audience listeners that can't see right now, is a – uh, a murderer's row of White Sox players. I mean, I'm looking at Josh Fields. I'm looking at Daniel Palka, Nicky Delmonico, <laughs> Yomar Sanchez. No, no, no. We're looking at actual talented baseball players. I'm seeing a Moncada, an Eloy, a Tim Anderson, a breu keikel Rob, Robert, uh, Kopech, uh, Grandal. Someone else is behind your head. Oh, Giolito. I mean, what's got you excited about this season, Mike?
2: I mean, you guys nailed it on the head. First of all, just to have baseball back just to have sports back is just an amazing thing I uh, forget you know we forget how much we miss those kind of just everyday occurrences in our life um also i think you guys totally nailed it in that ultimately this season this abbreviated 60 game season is going to be a primer for 2021 right because hopefully in the whole scheme of things come a couple of years this will just kind of be a blimp you know at the very best there's going to be asterisks all over the board so to your guys's point to kind of get these quote unquote uh Preseason type at bats in for 2021 is, yeah, like it just gets them that much more ready for what is hopefully a regular baseball season. But, but yeah, in terms of what I'm excited for, um, is that offense. That offense, I mean, if if they produce to even you know 70% of what they're supposed to do on paper, um, wow. I mean, you know, we're gonna need it because you know that pitching staff, eh, we'll see. Defense is, uh, you know, really rough, but I mean, that. That lineup, man, they're, they're going to score five runs a game at least. And you know, this isn't just even Homer is talking. Being a Chicago fan, you know, in a recent uh, MLB posting, they rank the uh, White Sox offense as the seventh best offense in baseball currently. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking looking forward to those dingers, looking forward to those RBIs, looking forward to that offense. Yeah, five runs a game. It could be five runs an inning
0: uh, at times. The way that they can put points on the board. And we, we just sort of saw it in these Cubs, uh, White Sox, these final summer camp, spring training games, whatever you want to call them, where, you know, all of a sudden I think it was 2 nothing Cubs in that fourth or fifth inning. And then next thing you know, base hit, double, another double, another base hit, another double. And the next thing you know, they had five runs on the board. And I think we need to probably get used to that. And they've got some guys on the team that can definitely slug, but it isn't necessarily – a home run or bust type team. Some of the veterans that they brought in, you know, on paper, it looks really awesome. But when you start kind of digging in a little bit deeper, some of these veterans on this team are professional hitters with, with, you know, positive OBPs that can hit with runners and scoring position. And I'm really interested to see how Ricky Renteria kind of blends this lineup. I think it's really interesting. Obviously the most thing I'm excited for is just, yeah, this offense seeing the white Sox win some games. I mean, Fans everywhere know that what it's like after three, four years of a team just losing consistently. You become numb, literally, where you're not even watching the game for the win or the loss. You're sort of just watching the game for the spirit of it because you kind of figure that they're going to lose anyways. That's been White Sox baseball for the last three or four years. And I think this is just going to be fun to watch the first time us actually really like when was the last time we had a conversation with each other where we're like, oh, White Sox are only two back uh that's been that's been quite some time so let's dig into this offense a little bit and I think we're going to sort of start with your guys favorite picks who do you think is the x factor maybe not necessarily your favorite player but if this guy shows up and does what he's supposed to do or what you think he's going to do this offense will be able to gel and come together maybe a little bit quicker than anyone else will think so Dave we'll begin with you who's your x factor who's the guy that you're looking at on offense that you know, if he gets off to a good start, if he's rocking and rolling this uh, this team's going to be on its way
1: well, I don't want to hedge my bets, Joey, but I think the x factor for me, I just wrote new faces, yeah, right, and that's that's our signings, and that's our prospects. I think that's what I'm most excited about, and I think it's going to come from you know that slew of guys that's going to become our x factor, right We're all excited about Luis Robert. Um, you know what are we going to get out of the grand all signing, Edwin? Incarnacion. Encarnacion. Um, what? Uh, who else was the signing? Nomar, uh, Mazzara. Mazzara, yeah. You know, I mean, th- it's going to come down to one of these signings and our prospects, right? We have a lot of really touted prospects coming up. First rounder. You know, everyone's excited about these guys. I'm excited about these guys. How are they going to gel? I think it's going to come from this stable, honestly. Um, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and order the Luis Robert jersey now because that dude looks like the truth.
0: It will only get more expensive as time goes <laughs> on. Uh, the dude looks like an absolute superstar. And then you see him swing the bat and you go, oh, that checks out. Mike he's also
1: Fre- very fast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, he's very cool guy five-tool guy. man. I mean, can can there be 10 tools? I don't know. They might make <laughs> up some new ones for him this season. I, I'm i that excited about him. Mike, for you, what is it, uh, in terms of the offense, are you more excited to see some of these veterans stabilize an um, offense? Or are you more excited to watch the kids?
2: I mean, it uh, it's 100% in terms of the X factor. And then, as you guys mentioned with the kids, it's Luis Robert, right? It has to be you know, between his signing bonus and the contract, he got paid $76 million before he even took an actual at-bat in the major leagues, right? So, um, you know, all these other guys have, to some extent, uh, a proven track record of what they can do. You know, you can see what they've done in previous seasons. And, you know, you can speculate on Tim Anderson if last year was an aberration or if that's something he's kind of developing into. Same thing with Moncada. But, again, they've proven that they can – do it at the major league level you know Robert is all hope he's all hype he's all like you know just potential and he's he's showing those flashes and so if if he even you know comes to a fraction of what we're hoping he can do like wow that that lineup like literally you know besides you know we kind of talked about this before we started recording you know uh, second base maybe a little weak depending on how uh, Mazar performs you know but other than that everybody else is a plus at bat so if Robert can be what everyone thinks he's going to be oh my god that is the murder's row lineup right there in 122 games in the
0: minors last year Luis Robert 108 runs scored 31 doubles 32 home runs 36 stolen bases 11 triples with a slash line of 328, 376, 624, 92 RBIs, um, interested anyone? Uh, are we are we into that? I mean, literally, those are we've been doing these fun uh, fantasy drafts recently, and those are numbers straight out of like the 1950s with the uh, with the 11 triples right there and the stolen bases and the home runs. You know, there aren't a lot of 30 30 guys in this game. You know, Acuna is a guy that's trying to be a 40 40 guy. Robert could possibly be that guy. And, and, you know, he just absolutely tore it up last year, and now he's ready to roll. Hop in,
1: Dave. Yeah, I was just going to say, one of the most interesting stats I found from last year that I think is really going to speak to our future is we're eighth in the league with batting average, but 24th in the league with runs scored, which means guys were getting on base, but they weren't coming home. And all this signing of all this bat power we got coming in is exciting to me. And what we've seen in just the the last couple games is, Clutch hitting, you know, and that's something I feel like we were really lacking in 2019. So I'm stoked.
0: I think a big part of it, too, and you're hitting it right in the head, is going to be situational hitting. The other part that worries me a little bit is if you kind of go up and down the lineup a little bit, you know, Tim Anderson, you know, led the league, led the AL in hitting, but his on base percentage isn't exactly where you want it to be. But that's where enter Yasmani Grandal. He walked 109 times last year, had a 380 OBP, and You know, that's the kind of stuff that we need to be able to move the chains a little bit to keep these big innings going. You know, Jose Abreu, you know, we're going to talk a lot about him, but not a huge OBP guy either. Um, You know, even a dude like Eloy Jimenez in the final month of the season got a 380 OBP going. You know, that's what's going to kind of take a little bit to keep the the chains moving. And then you, you know, you bring in a dude like uh, Edwin, Edwin Encarnacion you know, last year he hit 303 with runners in scoring position the year before 301. All of a sudden you're kind of getting a blend a little bit of all the stuff that we were kind of missing. And maybe some of these guys can kind of plug in and sort of move our way, move our way in there. And I'm just really kind of curious to see, you know, we, we keep talking about this team a little bit. I do want to keep kind of peppering in the concept that Ricky Renteria is the manager on this team. Um, we keep talking about the talent. We keep talking about the division. We keep talking about the pitching staff, but again, and we I'm going to bring him up a lot, but Ricky Renteria at last now has a team from which we can judge him by. And I think how he constructs the lineup is going to be one of those things that we're going to be kind of keying in on. Like, are you going to put three low OBP guys like Tim Anderson, Makata, and Eloy together in a lineup? No, you probably shouldn't. You need to kind of break that up a little bit. So those are going to be a little earmarks to see, you know, how he's going about handling this roster and the talent on it. Mike, hop in.
2: Well, I mean, I, I, I want to know what your guys' opinion of Renturia is because, to me, he has always struck me in the mold of uh, unfortunate past Sox managers like Terry Bevington, Jerry Manuel, you know, uh, uh, you know these guys who just kind of, they don't inspire uh, um, any confidence. Hit. Yeah, in terms of like, wow, I want to play for this guy. You know, you don't have that. I mean, famously, he got let like, go from the Cubs. They brought in Joe and What happens? They won the World Series. So, and not to say that Madden, alone, although I think it did be, play a big part was the deciding factor of them going to be going on to win the world series, but just there's nothing about Renteria that strikes me as like, wow, this guy is, you know, a, a championship caliber manager. So what, what are your guys thoughts on him? Um, I'll, I'll hop in first real quick. I'm right there with you.
0: I, I want to be, I want to try and be respectful to, to him because obviously I think a lot of players like him and I have no doubt in my mind that he knows the game you know, he was a bench coach for many years with the Padres, came over, you know, he had to like, you know, lick his wounds with the Cubs for a little while, and then got ousted before he actually had a team to really prove something. You know, my gut is kind of telling me, really nice guy, not the guy though. And I think this season is going to be a really interesting litmus test of how he handles certain situations. How does he handle mid-game situations that help you win games in the end because this is what it's all about now it's not just about the talent's going to be able to take care of business you know he's going to have to write the make make the right moves he's going to have to pull the right levers is he going to be able to sit a guy when he's in a slump is he going to be able to maybe ride someone else and sit somebody you know when they get hot so on and so forth you know how is he going to handle this nomar Mazzara situation because you know honestly like the guy has been a disappointment in his career has not played yet in these summer camp games. He's been feeling under the weather, but they've been very, very clear that it isn't a uh, it isn't a COVID situation. It's just he's been dealing with something else. And he's a guy that has a lot to prove. And how long is that leash going to be? You know, if he struggles right out of the gate, are they going to pull the plug on him and start playing some other players because there's only 60 games in the season? Or are they going to let him ride it out and, and work his way through? Um, Dave, just your general impressions of Ricky Renteria, if you have any at all. I mean, it's it's tough to say he's very nondescript.
1: I'm looking at my desk, and there's a, a bowl of day old vanilla ice cream. Um, <laughs> and I think there is no better bit of symbolism than that for Ricky Renteria. Just, and you have no
0: I, other ice cream, so that's what I, you're I, eating. No
1: more ice cream. This is what I'm eating. It doesn't taste great. It's a day old. I just honestly, I. I always look to the players, you know, and, and, and you can see it in the players. They're not excited about him. They don't rally behind him. He doesn't stir things up. Um, and I think we've been, you know, we've been spoiled in, in, in years past of having some real fun managers, some fiery managers, the Isaac Ian days. And, and funny enough, I was uh, searching for the lineup for the uh for two games ago against the Cubs and I was googling it and a lineup popped up and I thought oh man wow this is a heck of a lineup I love this lineup and then I realized that it was just uh an imaginary lineup from Ozzie Guillen who tweeted out this is what I would put as the lineup and I was like well if that doesn't tell you everything I was like Finally, yeah, this is this is the lineup right here, and it was just a wishful lineup from Ozzie Gee and himself.
0: So you're uh, saying uh, somewhere out there right now, Ozzy Ball still exists.
1: It does. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he was he, he was on the pre and post show, and he was spitting out, "This is what I would do," and I was like, "Man, can't we just get here's what I would do? A I'd
0: bat bit. AJ leadoff, uh, hop in yeah.
2: Mike." <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, in this season in particular, I feel like baseball, a baseball manager will have the most impact, right? Because there's so many you know in 162 games talent typically rises to the top right cream rises to the top so how much a manager makes a difference who's to say but with 60 games like every decision counts every pitching change counts um and then also the the mental factor right there's no fans in the stand this year so I think once again what is the manager um you know that who can pump up his team to get out there every game without like the the uh, the the you know, the drive of the fans to like kind of get you motivated. So, yeah, I mean, this will be a, in, you know, we talk about how this is kind of like a primer for the players for 2021. But if anything, I think this is like kind of will kind of really, we'll see for so many different reasons what kind of manager uh, Renteria really is. Well,
1: hop in, Dave. Yeah, I was just gonna say the other big factor in this is guys coming back from injuries and, you know, surgery and, how slowly does he bring them along? Like, are we using these 60 games to really see if uh, Kopek is back, or are we just gonna, you know, like, how?
0: Well, Kopek is, Kopek has opted out.
1: Kopech he's already is, opted out.
0: Yeah, he's yeah. opted out. He will not play um, at all this season, as far as we know. And now we're two days away from the season beginning. So it, it looks like we're gonna have to wait until next year, and he'll be 25. And he'll be t- 25 by the time we actually really see Michael Kopek on the mound.
1: So we'll, what you're saying is we'll probably never see him throw 105 again.
0: <laughs> I mean that was the you know it, it's something that was kind of in the um, the hot goss of the Chicago newspapers for a couple of days because he was at camp, he was throwing, he was pumping like 101, 102. He was had no restrictions in theory because right around they expected him to come back around July, and so he's actually on the timetable of coming back from from Tommy John. Was pumping 101, 102. And then, uh, he decided to opt out, which is his own decision. And I think a decision that we all understand and respect the thing that made it a hot goss situation was the pitching coach, Don Cooper kind of sort of stuck his nose into it a little bit where the, across the board, the organization was like, we support Michael. We understand his position. We'll see him next year. And Don Cooper, um, who, uh, has a tendency to be, um, a little forthright and honest or for whatever reason he just said i'm really worried about michael kopek he struggles with anxiety and depression yeah, he, i hope I, that I was, he's okay i
1: was reading that he kind of threw him under the bus with the whole depression thing and now there's this whole other narrative about kopek that's going around that's like you know what's his mental state and I, which don't, is I'm
0: unfair completely like he can 100%. be completely fine but he just might not feel safe um under the protocols that major league baseball has set out and let's be real major league baseball went through several little bumps in the road over the last couple of weeks with these testing intervals that would make anyone probably pause for a second. I mean, we did a fantasy pod the other day with me and Mike and we're, you know, Mike, Mike Trout's the number one player in fantasy baseball, but some people aren't taking him number one because they are realistically thinking that he might eventually leave the season because his wife is expecting when he has a little kid, he may not finish the season just based on what's best for his family. I mean, this is the kind of shit that's going on. So to throw the anxiety, depression thing out there, I don't know. I, 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 think, that's a little, uh, I think that's a little off color, for my opinion. Hop, hop in, Mike.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, Coop's always been, you know, outspoken for good and bad. You know, I, I really or think Coop
0: just doesn't like watch TV, right? Like he just <laughs> walks out of his house and then, you know, he has his own opinions without I, any information. I can sort tell you this.
1: Coop, Coop ain't wearing a mask in a grocery store. <laughs> okay.
2: You know, this guy is like, you know, the thing is like, right. Like there's just no foresight. Cause like, let's say, even if that is true, why are you telling the public that if it is true? Cause if a guy really has those issues, having that blasted to the public is not going to help your uh, psyche by any means.
0: Yeah. The only therapy Don Cooper's ever seen is like pulled pork therapy on his own. And it's like tenderizing his own meats. I think that's the only type of therapy he's ever gone through <laughs> in his whole life. Um, and so And the other thing I wanted to kind of pivot back towards is we were just talking about Renteria. And the most interesting thing for me is that this team has such an abundance of talent. I'm really interested to see what they do with the DH position, because now you've got Yasmani Grandal. You have James McCann behind the plate who made an all-star team last year. Those are two guys you're going to have to split some at-bats there with. Grandal can also play first base, and so can Abreu. You also have Edwin Encarnacion, the DH, and you have Eloy Jimenez, who, let's be honest, is not a great defender, so he's going to have to play some spots at DH. So how does Ricky Renterina manage all of those at-bats, keep all those guys kind of happy and healthy, and, and hopefully you know, hit the right buttons on a day-to-day basis playing games? Hop in, Mike.
2: Well, yeah, I think once you, and I, and, and I think the Edwin Encarnacion signing was amazing. You know, you've got a professional hitter who pretty much outside of injury is going to guarantee you 30 home runs, 100 RBIs every year locked and loaded, right? But I think once we made that signing, we locked our lineup. Because, again, especially in in 60 games, you know, of course, depending on uh, injuries and so forth, that can obviously change the situation. But he's your DH. He is your DH. And if he doesn't play 50-plus games for you at DH – it kind of a bum signing. And so because of that, then the, the dominoes fall Then that, that means a is pretty much uh, locked in at first. Right. That means a guy like Rondal who, you know, when, whether it was Milwaukee, whether it was the Dodgers who could, you know, play you a little bit of first base as well, you know, he's locked in a catcher. So, you know, outside of like, you know, second base and maybe how, depending on how Mazzara pans out, you really don't have any in, in an ideal case for the Sox, any position flexibility now. Well, it's going to be tough, and
0: that's – you know, Mazzara's going to play right field, and then the odd man out might be either him or James McCann, right? Because, yeah, you have to give uh, Edwin Encarnacion all the chances in the world to produce right off the bat, eight straight seasons of 32-plus home runs, 100-plus RBIs in six to eight of those seasons – and last season, you know, everyone said it kind of was a down year, still hit 34 home runs, had a bad bit of 239, which is well below league average. So even if that goes up just a touch more, in theory, he would have a more productive season than he did last year. And yeah, Abreu, I mean, Abreu needs to be in the lineup every single day, no matter what, as much as possible. You know, since joining the Sox, he's averaged only, oh, I don't know, 29.8 home runs a season, about 100 RBIs, led the AL with 123 RBIs. And we were just talking about situational hitting. Dude hit three thirty seven with runners in scoring position last season. I mean, that is just straight up as almost as automatic as it gets in baseball. So, I mean, I think that's going to be where Ricky Renteria is going to really have to kind of juggle a little bit. You know, some of the guys that he's not going to have to worry about. You know is a guy like a Tim Anderson? and I kind of want to hear what your guy's thoughts are because you know everyone's excited about Tim Anderson, but a lot of people have some polarizing thoughts about his potential. you know sometimes when a guy goes from hitting two forty to three thirty five people are asking themselves the question of you know, who is this guy? Dave, for you, who do you think Tim Anderson can be on you know just a, a baseline average uh, baseline average level for the sox?
1: Yeah, I mean. I had him down as a possible X factor as well, because we saw, you know, I mean, let's, let's put his defense in its whole, in a whole other compartment. That's a whole other Pandora's box. That's we'll just there. like, you know, oh gosh, man, it's ugly. It's real ugly. Uh, but as a hitter, it's interesting. It's like he seems like the archetype for a leadoff hitter. I mean, that's, He seems like the perfect leadoff guy but at at times uh you know he struggled in that position I don't know what to think about Tim Anderson at this point I mean I have to believe as a Sox fan that he's great for the team he's great for the fan base um he's maybe he's progressing maybe that's what we're actually seeing maybe he's maybe he's He's blossoming before our eyes. Maybe I'm wearing uh, socks-colored glasses, but it's what I want to believe. Um, you know, I, I think he could really be an X factor for our offense, certainly. Um, and it's just a matter of, of which one's the real Tim Anderson, right? The one hitting two forty-six, the one, you know, the, the clutch hitter with all the swag and all the confidence. Um, And can that confidence go towards him when he's fielding ground balls?
0: Catching the ball, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And to be fair, Dave, I really do like your glasses. They got the little hawks on them, the little (laughs) hawks on the rims.
1: uh, The left lens says he, the right lens says gone. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. Can't see a thing, but we're talking style here. Uh, Mike, I want you to hop in. Do you think Tim Anderson is closer to the guy that hit 240 two years ago or the guy who hit 335 last year?
2: Well, I think we have to kind of – God bless him that he led the league in batting average, right? But I think we have to kind of, to some degree, take that as an aberration because you don't jump 90-plus points in your batting average from one year to the next and just assume that, yeah, that that's what you are now as a hitter in one year. So, you know, for me, if he bats – over 280, I think that's a great year because, again, this is a guy who's going to give you homers. He's going hit, to hit you 15-plus homers. He's going to steal you know, at least 15 bases, you know. So, I mean, he's a guy that contributes across the board. Um, yeah, if that average gets anywhere near 300 again, I think that's only a bonus. Um, you know, probably right now because I think he has slated a bat leadoff, right? So, if anything, he's got to be a little bit more selective at the plate because he's never been a walk guy you know, at, at the up position, you're going to have to be, you know, you have to get those walks up there. So um, yeah, I, I think again, he's another uh, uh, a dark horse in terms of what he can contribute, but throw away the batting average, he still contributes. So if he, he can get you anywhere near 300, I think that is a really successful year. And then, yeah, like his, yeah. the defense again that's a whole different story whenever you guys want to get into it but you don't want your arguably the most important defensive position to have a league leader in errors for you from the previous season with 26 yeah hop back in Dave
1: yeah I was gonna say I was I was looking at Tim Anderson's numbers with and maybe because it was we were doing the fantasy shows but they're kind of eerily similar to the good year from Alexei Ramirez followed by his poor years they're very different in. Body types, <laughs> probably about 150 pound difference, which isn't saying much for Alexei Ramirez. But you know, we're we really trying to make Alexei into a leadoff guy. But then every now and then he was hitting bombs, and that really wasn't paying off as far as getting guys on base. I feel like we're going to run into the same issue with Tim Anderson as our leadoff guy, where it's like, can he blossom into that true leadoff guy? Um, you know, can can he can he get on base? Can he be more selective, which was what Mike was saying. I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of eerily similar. And we saw Alexei have that huge, huge year where he was hitting 320, 330, and then following it up with a, with a 240 again. And we're like, oh, this is who he really is.
0: Yeah, for me, Tim Anderson, he's going to start off as the leadoff hitter. I don't think it's necessarily the most ideal fit, so I agree with you both very much. And I would probably even go further down with you, Troy. Like, if he hits, like, 280, 290 this year, I think I would be absolutely ecstatic and be like, okay, mm-hmm. well, this is mm-hmm. something that I can begin to expect from him on a season-by-season basis. And, uh, to, yeah, and to dovetail on your point, too, him hitting 335, he's going to be wildly overdrafted um, in some fantasy leagues, in my opinion, uh, just based on the fact that there was going to be a regression. He had a 399 backbip last year, which is just a- almost, like, otherworldly. Uh, like that's going to come back down to earth a little bit, um, as, as even in a sixty-game stretch of a season. But what I did like a lot about uh, Tim Anderson last year was obviously he got super hot in the second half, hit three fifty-seven in his last fifty-seven games. So he's got that kind of stretch in him. You know, we're talking about a sixty-game season here. And then the other part too is that I just looked it up. He hit three ninety in the ninth inning last year. Now, obviously, I'm just going to take a wild guess and say not a lot of those games were close. I was. I'm going to take a guess and say that the White Sox maybe were losing some of those games last year, but you know when you hit 390 in the ninth inning, that just says to me that the dude continues to rake, no matter what the score is, no matter what the situation is, and I think that bodes well for a team that's actually going to be trying to win games this year. Mike, hop back in.
2: Well, yeah, I. You know the thing that's amazing, and I, I feel like in this 60 game season, um, the Sox are either going to win like 50 games or they're going to win like five because. Was there any other team offensively, and even to some degree with Giolito, actually a big degree to a big degree Giolito where they were a streaky team, right? Like Eloy, like really only got hot for like a two month stretch, right? Uh, same thing with Mankata. You know, we talk about uh, a guy like um, you know, again, Giolito, he had that really hot stretch. Even McCann, who obviously is kind of a bencher guy, like made the All Star team on a hot beginning of the season and really tailed off. So hard. Uh, yeah, so I mean, if there was ever a streakier team that either could do super well in the short season or horrible in the short season, it could be the Sox.
0: Yeah, you look at some of these numbers, right? Yeah, like Eloy in the final season hit 340 with eight doubles and nine home runs and 25 RBIs. Like James McCann in his first 60 games last season hit 316 and then hit 226 in the second half, right? So I mean, these are the kind of stuff that you're bringing up where... You know, this team could get white hot. This team could maybe go, you know, cold as ice. Um, it's really kind of hard to say a little bit. Uh, before we move on from the offense, I just want to talk about Mankata first, because honestly, he might be perhaps the most talented offensive hitter that we have on the team, and we haven't even brought him up yet. And there's something, there's just something about him. I can't really put my finger on it. I mean, the dude is a switch hitter. Absolutely had an amazing season last year, 34 doubles, 25 home runs, hit 315, slugged 548, everything that you want. But at the same time, he's kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Can you guys get a sense or maybe your, your finger on the pulse of why exactly that is? Um, do you, maybe this has something to do with, like, Dave, I want to ask you, like, do you trust Yohan Mankata at this point to be the hitter that he was last year? Or would you, as a fan, like to see just a little bit more?
1: I mean, I'm always going to ask for more from our players, Joey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's that Ozzy ball mentality.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he's another guy, man. I mean, I was surprised to to see – I don't really remember this as much on him, but 15 errors on him as well last year. You know, he's another guy that just defensively we just need to shore up and maybe that added to it. But as a hitter, yeah, I mean, first off, just was happy to see him. Just Happy to see Moncada back, and uh, you know, I mean, I think he's one of the guys that I'm most excited about. He's he's you know he's he's become a pillar of the team. He has become you know. I have to imagine that the spark that we saw from Moncada last year in bits and pieces is what we're going to see on a more consistent level this year. I have to believe that. I love the guy. Um, you know, I, I I think I don't want to keep hedging my bets, but I feel like all of these guys are essentially X factors, right? I mean, Tim Anderson, Shirley Moncada, Shirley Abreu, Shirley. You know, uh, Shirley Jones, the Shirley the closer. Jones. <laughs> But these are the these are the pillars of our teams, man. This is the 2020 White Sox team, right? These, these are the guys on the posters. These are the guys that. That we're all excited about and talking about. These are the guys that, that hopefully we're going to have for, for years and years. So I, th- I think, uh, you know, I have no idea.
0: Well, we're back. Expect- well, yeah. we're back. Well, we're back to the, No, but like you're, you're bringing up something that's really fun, especially as a White Sox fan, is you're just kind of bringing up. I mean, I'm just sort of getting those 2005, 2006 vibes again, where, you know, it, it isn't just about Paul Canerco, it's about AJ and Aaron Rowan and Joe Creedy. And oh yeah, Juan Uribe. And don't forget X Factor, Scotty Pasenik at the top line. Jermaine Die goes. The list goes on and on. And we're well, back in I'm that place again.
1: Yeah, you want to have. We're finally in a place, Joey, where we're not looking to one person to to shoulder the weight. You know, the fact that Tim Anderson was had the highest batting average was was a huge surprise, but a welcome surprise. I mean amongst all the other hot bats that we have from time to time. I mean, if, if Tim Anderson can, can lead the team in 2019, I mean, it's like, look, who, who's going to step up this year. I, I think it could be Mankata.
0: And that's, what's interesting is all the potential, right? Like Mike, you brought up a great stat earlier about how, you know, the white Sox have some offensive numbers from last season that look kind of interesting, but then also have, you know, runs scored is just awful. And yet on the team, we have a guy who led the AL in hitting. We led the and RBIs and had a guy in Eloy Jimenez who had 31 home runs and missed significant time last year. So he's a possible home run champ. Uh, Mike, I want to hear your thoughts too as well, but also I want to hear a little bit uh, on what you think about Mankata. You know, is he, is he flying under the radar just because we kind of know who he is already? Do you think he can be even better? Do you think he still has something to prove? Um, what do you think?
2: Well, I, I hope it's not the case, but I think it might be a situation where You are never going to live up to the hype that was presented to you when you were coming up. We have to remember this guy was the top prospect in all of baseball. He was the crown jewel of the Chris Sale trade, right? That kind of what made the trade bearable, like you know. And because it could be argued that Chris Sale, probably in the last twenty years, is the biggest name that the Sox have had, right? So he was supposedly, you know, the the reason we got rid of Sale, the the reason that we were going to be a contender again once we got rid of Sale. So you know, so I hope it. You know, I hope it's not that case, but it could. It could be kind of like, you're whatever you do, no matter how great it is, is never going to match the expectations. Because we have to remember, it, it it's crazy. Like, it feels like Mancada has been on the team for like five, six years, right? But like, he's the year, old, he's the old he's hand yeah. who's finally getting a chance to win. <laughs> last year was only his second full year on the Sox. You know, it's only his third year on the Sox total. You know, that first year he only played like 54 games, and then you know he had a cup of tea with Boston. So. It, relatively speaking, I mean, I think he's right on track. You know, I think he's right on track for a guy coming into his third full big league season. Um, you know, I, I know that his BABIP, I think it was like above 400. It was like the highest 406. It, yeah, it was the highest That's going to come since, back to earth
0: a little bit, but his exactly. hard hit rate was still really high. So people exactly. are like, "Oh, that'll maybe balance itself out."
2: I mean, it was the highest BABIP since 1977. So again, that kind of tells you that, you know, unfortunately, that's probably a little bit of an aberration. But again, if, if this is a guy who, you know, can get you, again, if he bats anywhere near 300 and then he gets you the homers, he gets you the RBIs. The thing that's actually really surprising is, um, at least as a prospect, I think he was he was one of those guys that was in the 30-30 contention because he was a base dealer. So the fact that we haven't at least really seen him be unleashed in terms of what he can do on the base base paths. That's kind of surprising, but it could be just in that era where like, Hey, once we know that a guy's a power guy, let's not get him hurt running the bases. So, but yeah, that's a component of this game that I feel like if he, wow, if he, if he able, if he gets to about 20 steals a season, yeah, he's, he's going to be an exciting player.
0: Well, I think the thing about Moncada and uh, this is just what I see as a fan observing game to game is I think he has a lot to learn about the, the nuances and the intelligence of the game which goes into Dave's point, the errors, the fundamentals. I know he's moved from second base to third base, but still like that's a part of the game that he has to learn. He is, I think perhaps one of the fastest guys in the team. If Robert isn't already taking that away from him, but he's right up there with him. And I think base stealing has a lot to do with learning situations, learning the, the pitchers, the ins and outs in that, and that type of intelligence. But for him, he has so much talent that for me, him and Eloy, it's almost like I don't even worry about them for some reason. Like they're already these established, like you said, like he's been on the team for years. Like these are like established players already in the lineup. And, you know, I tell you, I haven't seen a bad like that since 1977, but I don't care. <laughs> like I still think, I still think the dude is going to hit the ball hard places. I still think he's going to be able to be driving runs. I think he's still going to be at the top of the lineup. And for him, you know, and even like a guy like Eloy too, it's like, you know, he's still maturing and learning at the plate, but man, like I was looking up, they had this MLB stat where like late close games, when the White Sox were actually in games down or up. And in those situations, Eloy Jimenez had seven home runs in 48 at bats. I mean, that's not stuff that like rookies do, you know what I mean? That's stuff that like veterans that step up and come up huge in big situations do. And that's kind of the stuff that I'm, I'm already sort of feeling like, oh, these guys are established. Like, we just need to let them run. Like, now let's watch the Robert and the the
2: Madrigals. Hop in, Mike. Yeah, I mean, you know, with uh, Jimenez, again, it's like, right? Like, he only last year was his only year in the big league. So, it's like, yeah, it's this weird thing where, like, we've we've heard of these names because they have been such huge prospects. So, it feels like they've been just in the organization forever just because we've heard their names and they're they're the next great hope. But uh, the funny thing with Jimenez, man, have you guys, like, when you look at Jimenez, I feel like he's one of those guys where, like, we'll find out, like, in another 10 years that his birth certificate is right. Because there's no way he's uh, 23 years old, man. He looks like he's 35, you know? So, I mean, I think that's a, that could be a situation where we find out later, like, yeah. He's got the Andy Reid jeans. Yeah, he yeah, was, was, six,
0: six, like, was four when he was 9 years old. <laughs> um, yeah, Dave, hop in.
1: No, I, I, I just uh, thought it was – we were on the Moncada train, and I just thought it was funny – I was pulling up his stats, and the first thing that pops up in Google is, is Yon Mankata good? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the first question. Uh, but here's here's the thing, I think, with, with Mankata. One last thing was uh, the strikeouts. I mean, the, if, I, if I had a dollar for every time I saw that guy just whiff. Uh, but I felt like they improved, and I just wanted to make sure that they did. And uh, his percentage has gone down uh each year so if he can just become a little bit of a smarter hitter a little bit more of a contact hitter I think that's that's been his Achilles heel as a batter and I think that'll uh that'll shore things up certainly in that top of the lineup
0: that's going to be key you know getting smarter at bats up there you know you know, getting that kind of a bat that is, you know, you're not hitting the ball 450 feet when honestly you just need a base hit, you know, it's going to be that type of stuff. And they're kind of hoping that the veterans in the lineup can kind of balance things out. And I will say that, you know, finally, it was my favorite fantasy name from the last couple of years. And now it is, is even better. Uh, Akuna Makata. Uh, you get Acuna Ronald Acuna Mankata. and you get Yon Mancada on the team, yes. and Acuna Mancada is one Perfect. of my favorite my favorite fantasy names. Hop back in, uh, Dave.
1: I have a question for you guys. I mean, just looking at the team and 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 something we struggle with over the years. We talked about the on base percentage and not being able to get those guys home. Can the twenty twenty White Sox play small ball? Great question, and we're going to answer it right after the break. It's
0: called a tease, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to hear really quick from our sponsor, Simply Safe. Simply Safe, what a wonderful sponsor! They've been so good to the Believe Podcast Network. And you know, what's the number one sign of a bad home security system? Well, it's a home security system that's so complicated that you never even use it, that you don't even bother with it. Well, that's exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. So now, Simply Safe, they've designed an easy to use way to protect your home 24 7. You order online, it comes to your home, you open the box, you place the sensors, you plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It is simply that simple. So head to simplysafe.com backslash team, and you get free shipping and a 60 ma- day money back guarantee if you go to simplysafe.com backslash team today. It feels good to fear less, so simplysafe.com, remember backslash team back to the pod right now and we're talking a little bit about how safe we feel with this white Sox offense ton of talent on the paper but dave you brought up a really good point you know are they going to be able to move are they going to be able to move the chains a little bit you know uh this team looks like it can probably uh score a touchdown from anywhere on the field but can it pick up a first down when it needs to not to do a cross sports uh reference here but i want to start with mike you know to dave's question do you think this team can play small ball when it matters?
2: Not at all. I think this team was <laughs> yeah. was designed to be, you know, one of the worst things they were in the league last year was home runs and RBIs, right? They were in the lower third um, of of those stats. So I think this team was designed and built for this year and beyond to be, I don't want to necessarily say a power hitting team, but a team where like you're obviously in situations you're going to move the guy over with a bunt. You're going to try to get that sacrifice fly. But in general, you are sending those guys up there to hit. Uh, you're throwing out the situations. You're just throwing those guys up to hit. Because again, you can't count on Tim Anderson to hit 335 again. Outside of that, you know, these guys are, at least on paper, you know, Robert, we'll see how he pans out in terms of what he is as a major leaguer. But on paper, these guys are hopefully RBI producers, right? Guys who. You know, if it's not home runs or driving the ball, you know, deep to get doubles, and so yeah, I don't think this team is designed to play small ball. And again, I don't think that's their biggest strength. Um, so yeah, if, they, if if they have to resort to small ball, the uh, whether it was management or the signings or underperforming, something went vastly wrong. Hop in, Dave.
1: I don't want to skip ahead, but I guess you know I hear what you're saying, Mike, and I guess that's what really worries me because talking about you know a team that's built for for you know slugging and uh I think we're third best in the division as far as that's concerned I mean Minnesota is gonna hit some bombs they are gonna hit some bombs and uh Cleveland's no joke either I think like you know where do we match up in your eyes as far as you know the team we're built to be in comparison.
0: Well, that is the big question, and that's where the rubber meets the road, right, is we're so excited about the talent on this team. We're so excited about the young kids. We're so excited that we've kind of rehabbed our starting rotation over the last couple of years. We're so excited that we actually have a closer that we like. We have Aaron Bummer, a setup guy that we whole like. But, but again, we're kind of sort of we're, – we're pulling at a thread here that I think is pretty obvious, and it could be the White Sox downfall, and it might be what prevents them from taking you know a huge leap forward in 2020 is – it just doesn't really seem to be there fundamental-wise. You know, we've talked about, you know, a lot of guys in this team are definitely swing and miss. Not a lot of OBP guys OBP guys on this team outside of some of the veteran additions. How is that going to work out? Like you said, Dave, are they going to be able to move a runner over or just get that sack fly? Or just, you know what, make some contact to keep an inning alive. There's nothing worse than bases loaded, nobody out and you swing and miss at three really bad pitches, and you have one out. You don't even make contact, and then you set up a double play, which guess what? This team is going to hit into double plays, too, as well this year. We have to be ready for that. We've already brought up the defense, which is kind of a problem. And then we're going to get into another one in a second about, you know, I do like the starting rotation, but I think the middle relief is a huge, huge, huge issue, and that are also going to be a huge work for this team as well. So fundamentally, you know, it doesn't really stack up for this team to, you know, overtake a team like the Twins, which just has this juggernaut offense and veteran, veteran pitching. The Indians who have been there, done that, still have a superstar in Lindor, still have a Cy Young candidate in Shane Bieber. So there's definitely a lot to deal with in terms of just our own division. Mike hop in.
2: Well, and also I think the reason that this offense was designed that way to be an RBI home run kind of team, uh, we talk about the defense, right? It, you know, small ball typically is, is good for a great defensive team because you're going to be playing close games, low scoring games. But, like, when you have a defense that is really suspect like the Sox and, unfortunately, an unproven staff from top to bottom, right, because, I mean, hopefully Giolito is what he showed. He is hopefully Dallas Keuchel can kind of be what he has been the last three or four years. But, I mean, Gonzalez, Cease, Lopez, they're all kind of unproven. So, we need an offense that can score, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, five-plus runs a game because the defense is not going to keep the opposing team to that and, you know, depending on how the pitching turns out, you know, yeah, we're going to need to score a lot of runs. And so I think partly by design, that, uh, that offensive potential is based on our deficiencies with our defense and the unknown with our pitching staff.
0: Yeah, let's stay with the defense for a hot minute and then we'll move over to the pitching. I mean, we've been bringing up the whole pod and it's been a great point, but who? who it's a problem when your best defensive player is probably your catcher, you know? I mean, Grandal obviously gets high marks for pitch framing. Gets high marks for defense. And then what else? I mean, honestly, like Adam Angle in center field, he's not going to play a whole lot. He's just a dude. You know, he hits 240, 245. Honestly, they want him probably as a rotation outfielder at best. If You're running Eloy out there. Eloy hurt himself twice playing left field. That isn't a normal thing that baseball players do. Typically, they get hurt running the bases or whatever. He got hurt playing left field. Nomar Mazara is no uh, walk in the park out there in right field. If he gets some time, we talked about Tim Anderson's errors, Yohan Mandaza's errors. Abreu doesn't really necessarily cover a lot of range, um, so it's it's a bit scary on that front. Dave, hop in.
1: I was just gonna ask you guys, like, you know, we we kind of brushed over second base, but like, how do you honestly see that shaking out? Like Madrigal, Garcia. What's what's the best option defensively in your eyes?
0: Um, I, I want to hear from Mike too, but for me personally, I, you know, they're going to give. I think they're going to give Lurie Garcia every single opportunity to make it happen. Um, they also have a dude, Merrick David Merrick, on the team too, as well that might see a couple starts here and there. But you know, Garcia did hit two seventy nine last year with a, his first time ever getting a full time role on a team in one hundred and forty games you know, actually did pretty well for himself. Now, I think in their hearts, their heart of hearts, they want him, you know, to maybe play a little center field some days, maybe play a little right field some days that Mazar isn't in there. And I know everyone had a bunch of buzz about Magical coming in, but he looks to be a little bit too far behind to be able to contribute right off the bat. And honestly, you know, for people, you know, if you're not able to contribute right off the bat in a 60-game season, it is going to be very, very hard to become an actual contributor on the team I could see him maybe getting some at-bats here and there, but, you know, I mean, even, you know, they're talking about this guy Gavin Lux with the Dodgers. They thought he was going to be rookie of the year, and they don't think that he's going to win the starter job coming out of camp. You know what I mean? So some of these rookies, it's going to be really, really tough for certain rookies. I'm not worried about Robert that much, but certain rookies are going to have a really hard time cracking in and really getting those at-bats in a 60-game schedule. So I don't know. I, I'd love to hear you, Mike. Do you think it's Magical or Garcia? I think it's Garcia right now. Magical might be another year away.
2: Yeah, definitely. To your point, Joey, um, you know, in such a short season, you don't want to count on an unknown, right? Magical is an unknown. I mean, his, you know, the stuff he's done in the minors and in colleges, the stuff of legends, 16 strikeouts in over 500 plate appearances. That is just crazy. But again, He doesn't have the, you know, he didn't even have a full spring training to really kind of get some at bats underneath him. So yeah, you don't want to go into a 60 game season with a guy who just, you know, isn't ready. Um, I think Lurie Garcia, who ultimately is a stopgap is perfectly well suited to being, you know, the starting second baseman for a 60 game season. He's not going to hurt you. I mean, is he ever going to make an all-star team? No, but I mean, if you have your, depending on where he bats, whether it's either eighth or ninth in the lineup, you know, I think if you're getting 270 from your eighth or ninth batter, that's a pretty good at bat. So, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately in 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 an ideal world, Garcia is your super utility guy who's coming off the bench. But for 60 games, uh, he's not going to hurt you at second base. Yeah, and he hit 293 at guaranteed rate
0: last year. Garcia did uh, 27 doubles, three triples, eight home runs. 140 games, that's not too shabby. He only hit 206 with runners in scoring positions, so another guy then that kind of came up empty when we needed him the most. And, I, I you know, I don't want to shit on Madrigal. I, I like him a lot. I think it's a really interesting, talented prospect. And, man, when you see him up at the plate, you know, he is tiny. He is a dude that you want to root for, I think, at all times. I think he could definitely become a White Sox fan favorite very, very quickly, just in terms of his makeup, his stature, and his talent. But, I mean, as we're getting closer to this season about to be unleashed here and he's not ready to roll, I think it might be really hard for him to contribute. You know, hopefully he can. And and the other situation is, thank goodness it is only 60 games because if he's on the bench the whole time and gets those spot starts, you know how they're always like he's not getting any better just sitting on the bench. Well, you know, this is just a two-month cup of coffee for him to kind of like get the, you know, get the ways and, and the protocols of MLB Major League Baseball you know, maybe get 80 to 100 at bats and then just roll it over to 2021 and hopefully be rolling by then. Dave, hop in.
1: I guess this is a larger question than you know, if we get to game 30 and like Mike said, we, <laughs> we're we five and and 25 or something, do we just kind of go, hey, this is the time to start giving these guys some serious playing time? Do we just kind of abandon the game plan and say, you know, like you were saying, you know, uh, Garcia isn't going to hurt us. But at that point, are we looking at 2021 and going, let's get Magic all the starts. Let's get him the experience. Do we just abandon ship at that point and go, now's the time to see what we have for 2021. Where's that uh, tipping point for you?
0: Uh, Well, the tipping point, we were talking about this yesterday in the Fancy Pot, and this is something that I cannot figure out for the life of me, is how this trade market, the supposed trade market, in Major League Baseball is going to shape itself you know, who's going to be buying? Who's going to be selling? Will any of that even be happening at all? All the different little checks and balances and protocols that are going to need to go into players changing teams. And, you know, are people going to be asking for so much that no, no business is even going to be able to be done? And the reason why I'm bringing this up is, you know, if the stocks go south, typically the first thing that they would do, right, is trade an Encarnacion, right? They would trade him. They would trade a Nomar Mazzara. They would get him out here and then free it up for exactly what you're talking about, Dave. You know, some open at bats here, you know, try and get that Zach Collins up there. Try and, you know, try and see, you know, whatever. Give Jake Berger the cup of coffee. Play magical a whole lot. My question is, I just don't know what this market is going to be like where I don't know if you're going to be able to move guys off of your team to open up spots for others. And then again, if you keep those guys on the team like an Incarnacion explaining to them, a guy like Ricky Renteria explaining to him that he needs to sit on the bench for the next 10 days because, you know, we're going to start Magical at second and we're going to start someone else at DH. We're going to give other people different kinds of looks. I think it could get really a little dicey there. And so, yeah, Mike, I'd love to hear. We talked about a little bit more. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how do you think that's going to sort of shake out and. And would we be able to even play the kids uh, even more so if the season went south?
2: Well, I mean, you know, in such a short season, yeah, what is the tipping point when a team is considered in or out of contention? You know, uh, I think we preface it for this podcast in terms of what the over-under is um, for the season. You know, I think, what is it, like 31 31. and a half? We're 31 and a half. Yeah, 31 and a half. And then we're plus, plus
0: 350 to win the division. And I think we're 25 to one to win the World Series.
2: Because here's the thing, and again, you know, this kind of ties into us being a, a betting sports podcast. But um, you know, right now, right, like the Dodgers are the overall World Series favorite. Um, but then when you take a look in the AL, it's you know, it's the Twins, it's the Yankees, um, it's Astros, uh, still, it's the Astros, right? So I, I don't even think we need to compete with those teams um, because it's still the same playoff format, right? So there's still going to be two wildcard teams. So I think the question is, can we compete with the second tier? of teams that are in contention you know teams like the Indians the A's the Red Sox the Angels and Tampa Bay who's surprisingly really a lot of high. love a lot of love I, going I don't on understand Tampa Bay. that it's crazy but and Tampa Bay so I mean it's I feel like we can contend with those teams for one of two wild card spots um but you know in terms of player movement I gotta at least in my opinion I gotta assume that it's gonna be very very minimal because to your point you know what are the safety protocols for trading a player? What does it take to, you know, is he going to have to have any kind of quarantine situation if he moves to another team? And then obviously with 60 games, if you have to face a quarantine situation before you can join your team, you know, that's, you know, a a ninth of the season, you know, so depending on that situation. And then obviously the whole reason that teams are playing just regionally is because they don't want to have people traveling in the first place. So I would got to say, unless it's a blockbuster, some team just makes a killing, on a trade and just dupes like a dumb general manager. Like, I don't think there's going to be much movement in baseball this season.
0: And that could block a player like Madrigal from cracking the lineup and actually getting, you know, significant playing time. Yeah. I think some of the love for the Tampa Bay is definitely that they've been deploying the opener. Uh, For those of you that don't know what an opener is, instead of a starter who goes five or six innings, they will bring in a bullpen man to go the first one or two innings and then introduce an actual starter to go four innings. They think that because they have that structure figured out on their team that maybe they'll be more um, uh, attuned to the 60-game schedule of, of moving guys in and out. And let's kind of pivot over to the pitching staff a little bit because flying a little bit on the radar because the offense is so much fun to talk about. But there's definitely some question marks in the starting rotation, and this is really where I have – this is where I'm going to be making – uh, my bones with Ricky Renteria right here. I think this is where I'm going to be deciding whether he is the future or not, and this is why. So we're looking at Dallas Keuchel, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease, and perhaps let's just say Gio Gonzalez right now to start off the season. Looking at the numbers, Giolito obviously we're not going to have to worry about him if he's not an ace. He's at least a number two, and I'm hopefully he's going to be able to repeat a little bit of what he did last year. But you know, Dallas Keuchel. Veteran pitcher, like him a lot, but averaged only 5.9 innings per start last season. Ronaldo Lopez, 5.57 innings per start last season. You know, Dylan Cease is still a young kid. You know, he came on a little bit towards the end of the year, but still wasn't really able to go very deep in the games. And then Gio Gonzalez, pitched well for the for the Brewers last year in 17 starts, but averaged only 4.76 innings per start. So I don't know math very well, you guys, but I'm looking at this, and I'm being like, Ricky Renteria is going to have his hand up in that fourth, fifth, sixth inning. And he's going to have to make the right moves and make the right matchups to get us to the bummer, to the Columet, to the c the guys that we actually like and trust in the seventh, eighth, ninth innings. It's going to be Ricky Renteria making those decisions in the middle of those games when when shit is really going down, when stuff really matters, because I don't know if the starting staff is going to be able to go very deep. Um, you know, Dave, you know, a lot is unknown about the starting rotation now, but, you know, you know, who do you like or who do you don't like? And what questions do you have about uh, this starting staff heading into the year?
1: All the questions, Joey. And I think we so just kind of hit on it. Like, we, we kind of don't know uh, how this is going to shake out. I mean, we have, uh, who is it, Dunning and Lambert, who are kind of like our swingman roles, who are probably going to sit in that role. Um, maybe they bridged the gap a little bit for for kind of what you were talking about, but but honestly, I mean, I'm looking at our relievers here and
0: Carson Fulmer. No thanks.
1: I'm just nervous. I'm just yeah. This, it's just a whole lot of just warm bodies yeah. <laughs> over in the bullpen right now.
0: Kelvin Herrera, remember yeah. him? He's still going.
1: <laughs> and you know, I I, I think. You know, like you' were saying uh uh Kopech opting out and and um uh Rodon i mean wh- there's a lot of question marks, and again, it's gonna come down to what does this look like in a sixty game format like you know how, how many how many starts does that equate to for for Giolito? uh and 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 can we get into a nice rotation are we going to find our 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 five-man rotation in these 60 games um you know and and like you said outside of giolito uh i don't see a lot of names that are going to take us into the seventh eighth inning i mean who honestly name one other that that's going to get us there
0: a lot of question marks um and and, yeah, that's that's a big issue, right? You know, Ronaldo Lopez is a guy that everyone's kind of looking at, right? But, you know, he had an ERA over eight in the sixth inning of games last year. Um, his He was giving up 1.71 home runs per nine innings. That was a huge issue with him, too, as well. And he couldn't pitch on the road either. His ERA was over six. So if you're looking for a guy to eat up innings from there, you know, that's kind of a bit of a, you know, it's either going to go really right or really wrong from him. You know, Dylan Cease is still probably learning. Gio Gonzalez might give you some good starts, but guess what? You better have that Dunning or, or whoever. You better have that middle leaf relief ready to roll on that day. Yeah, you need that Band-Aid. Yeah, and what do they do with Carlos Rodon? You know, I mean, he in 34 innings last year, he did have, strike out almost 12 guys per nine innings on average. That's all great, but is he a rotation guy? I mean, can you bring him out of the bullpen? You know, I do like Keiko to kind of solidify and stabilize everything, especially with our offense. I think that's going to work out pretty well from him. But again, like, yeah, who's going to go deep into these games? I mean, Mike, I want to ask you, the starting staff, you know, is it either going to go really right or really wrong? Or is there a middle? I
2: don't even know. Uh, man, it's scary what we have to count on from our pitching staff. Because when you really think about it, when you really break it down, Dallas Keuchel's the only guy who has a proven track record as a front-of-the-rotation type guy. Because, gee, let's hope – that he's kind of made that next step forward, but really, we only have one season on him to really judge what his quote unquote potential is. So he's not unfortunately a sure thing either. We hope he is. We have the hope that he can be what he showed last year, but there's no uh, track record of proving. Yeah. Yeah. He's more this guy than that guy. Right. You know, so Keuchel who is now on the downswing of his career um, is really the only proven major league starter on this rotation which is scary Um, but you know I this season in particular I'm not so much worried about uh, innings from your starters um, in general obviously with the Sox I am but in general just because you know in this season especially with the with the restart and pitchers not getting stretched out for the start of the season you know pitchers only getting about 12 starts probably half of those starts you know, your managers are probably not going to want to pitch you past too much past five or six anyhow, unless your bullpen is crap. So I think if anything, um, this year in particular, and we kind of talked about it on our fantasy pod, the middle relief guys are going to be monumentally important, because you're not going to want to get those starters high into the innings, because it's just like, there's there's a little bit of danger, because of just this restart, this quick restart. Um, But I think, you know, uh, Carlos Rodan is actually a dark horse because, like, because of the delay, he's actually a guy who's, if not ready, pretty close to being ready and pretty close to, you know, if sees falters. I, th- I think Gialito, uh, Gialito I think uh, Gonzalez is going to be uh, pretty solid. Um, but, he you know, is the two, solid. Yeah, yeah, nine straight
0: seasons of 10-plus yeah. wins, but he's kind of a couple years removed from, from being that mid-rotation guy. You know, can he just give us something quality? Could he be exactly. that middle reliever, do you think?
2: But I like the fact that, you know, especially with a, a guy who's basically a rookie or going into a second year with Cease and then Lopez, he's just, he shows flashes, but never really put a full year together. I like the fact that hopefully if Rodan is ready, he can easily be plugged into one of those two, whether it's the fourth starter, fifth starter, maybe even, you know, who knows, maybe even we go six rotation deep. So Um, But yeah, that, that, uh, that pitching staff is scary. And once again, I think that's why we value the RBI potential, the home run potential of our offense, because you know, these games are going to be like seven, five, eight, six, you know, because of the pitching staff and defense.
0: Yeah. And if I can lament, maybe just one more time, you know, just from a baseball perspective and a fan perspective and look, I'm not trying to give the guy a hard time, but you know, missing Kopech is going to hurt. Right. You know, from a fan perspective, We were so excited to watch him pitch, Um, you know, so excited for him to light up the radar gun. And just like in terms of the makeup of this rotation, I think we're having a completely different conversation if Kopech is a part of that. And, of course, that's something we're going to have to look forward to in 2021, because if you have Kopech, now you've got him and Gilito as this two-headed monster, right? Now Dallas Keuchel in that three spot doesn't maybe quite mean as much. You know, three, uh, a number three starter for Dallas Keuchel sounds pretty representative. And then everything kind of just sort of clicks down a little bit. You got the Lopez, the Cease, and then you kind of decide what you do with Rodon or Gio Gonzalez, or maybe those are your middle relief guys. So, you know, it certainly does hurt. It feels a little bit like, you know, on a report card, this rotation is a little bit of an incomplete heading into this season. And maybe that's why we're having some issues with it. And I think that they're going to be competitive. It's just, man, I think this is where we're going to be really, I don't know. I just I just don't want to be screaming at Ricky Renteria. And I have a feeling that I'm gonna be I feel like I'm gonna be yelling at the TV with him when he makes a move in the fifth inning, the sixth inning, or maybe he maybe he he pulls the guy maybe a little bit too early and it blows up in his face. Mike, hop in.
2: Well, how much do you think Renteria I mean obviously he's the manager, right? But in terms of function, how much do you think he's really making the pitching calls? Because, you know, Coop is so entrenched as the Sox pitching coach. I, I almost feel like You know, obviously, there's not this this is only speculation on my part. I almost feel like Renteria is probably like Coop, you're making the calls. That's a great question. There have been rumors
0: in the past that Cooper's place on the team is he has a little bit more pull and sway than I think other pitching coaches do. And that's a That's a great point that you're bringing up. That I think when, especially when the Yankees tried to drag him away, you know, he stayed with the White Sox, I think, because I think they gave him. maybe a little bit more authority than perhaps other pitching coaches on different teams have. So that is a really interesting point of whether he's actually going to be calling the shots or not at the end of the day, though, the same thing that it went with Robin Ventura and, you know, Ozzie gain or whatever, at the end of the day, it's the manager's call. Right. And I mean, he's the one that puts the final stamp on it. And, you know, I know it's a 60 game schedule and I know we have a lot to look forward to and a lot of potential, but you know what? The person that's under the most pressure right now, I'd love to hear you know, if you guys have a different person that's under more pressure, but the guy under the most pressure is Ricky Renteria. He could easily not be the manager of this White Sox team in 2021, especially if the Indians go down the toilet and let's just say, I don't know, a Terry Francona becomes available, um, You know, right the wrongs of uh, the 90s for the White Sox organization and bring him back. But Dave, who do you think maybe has the most pressure on him on this White Sox team, offense, pitching, coaching staff, I don't know, Rick Hahn, who do you think has the most uh, pressure on him, maybe heading into this season to perform?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably, a, it's. I mean, Renteria for sure. I mean, it starts at the top. Um, I think Giolito has a lot of, lot on his shoulders right now going into this season. I mean, Mike kind of hit on it. I mean, I, it starts and ends with him, right? He's the ace. Is he a true ace? Is That's a huge role, you know? That's a role that has led us to championships, you know? it It's the anchor. It's the foundation. It sets the tone. So I think going into this season, outside of the coaching staff, it's Giolito.
0: Yeah, if he can put it together for one more year, he becomes the guy, right? The unquestioned guy on the team. And he's going to get that opportunity because he's going to be our opening day, uh, opening day starter on Friday. Mike, who do you think has the most pressure uh, on the White Sox right now? Offense, defense, uh, pitching staff, coaching staff uh, heading into this season.
2: I mean, I, I got to echo that point. Um, it starts with Renteria uh, like this lineup. God, if you mess this lineup up, I just it's like, yeah, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be coaching in the major leagues. Um, you know, like, God, rentery is like that guy that's more suited to selling you like, you know, uh, a toner at Office Depot than running a professional baseball <laughs> team. But I mean, yeah, it, it, it's on him, man. It's, you know, because at the end of the day, right, it's like it doesn't matter how your team performs. If you want to perform, who gets cut? It's the manager. Um, I don't think any of the guys on offense just because, again, that lineup is so stacked from top to bottom that nobody has to shoulder the load. Um, at, you know, everyone can kind of rely on the other people to produce on any given day. Um, yeah, and then again to you guys' point, Geo Little for sure, because if he doesn't show up to you know uh, uh, what we hope he is, there is nobody on that pitching staff that we can rely on. So, but again, you know, if if they're five hundred, I think I think they're in playoff contention. So, um, and you know, I think especially with the AL Central and then in conjunction playing against the NL Central for their non-division games, um, I think they have a shot to. Uh, to do pretty well for the course of the season, as long as everything plays out like we hope it does.
0: Renteria is definitely my pick, but a close runner-up, I'll probably put Dallas Keuchel on there. I'm going to stay on the pitching staff with you guys. He just got his paper. He's the veteran. You know, he's coming off the the the, the Astros, uh, the Astros stint. He answered all the questions, and now he's on a new team. And now we're really looking forward to him to not only just lead us on the field and give us quality veteran starts every time that he goes out there. But also uh, part of the reason that he was being brought in was to hopefully, you know, kind of coach up and help some guys like Ronaldo Lopez, maybe help Giolito take that one little extra step, help Dylan Cease, uh, you know, reach his potential. You know, he's not completely in charge of that, but that's kind of some of those things that, you know, when veteran players come on the team, they show them how to be a pro, show them how to mentally prepare for a game and, you know, mentally how to trim your beard properly, how to grow it nice and long and strong (laughs) if you want to. Uh, how to clip at home because we're all doing that now. So a lot's on Keiko's plate. Dave, hop in.
1: Yeah, I was going to say to the Renteria point that Mike was talking about, I feel like if if at the end of this season our offense isn't clicking, we're going to look at this like the show Space Force, where you're like, there's all these great people in it. How is this show still not funny? <laughs> Why is it not funny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who's in charge of this? You literally were handed gold and you found a way to make it bronze, baby. What do you, What happened?
0: Directed by Ricky Renteria. I should have known. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unbelievable. That is, Yeah, that is a great point. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely hoping this White Sox team is not Space Force. And we're going to <laughs> get you guys out of here on this. Uh, 31.5 is the over-under on the White Sox wins. I want you to let, me, uh, let us know, uh, are you going over? Are you going under? Do you like them to win the division? And if you don't like them to win the division, who do you like to win the AL Central? Uh, We'll start with Dave first. I know there's a lot to answer in a row there, but uh, we'll start with 31.5 over under.
1: Uh, Look, I'm going to take the under. Because it's a 60 game season and there's so many unknowns. Mike hit on it earlier of, are we going to be willing to take those chances? Are we going to be willing to put in those guys and, and, and get them some experience? Maybe not and we'll constantly resort back to, well, it's a 60 game season. And it, you know, if we had a little bit more of the the longevity, I would say, look, in 2021, if you're asking me this question, I say, give me the over, baby, I'm hammering it, I'm putting the money, I'm taking them as a 21 odd to uh, become World Series champs, I'll, I'll put the money down. But in this short season, um, I gotta trust Vegas. I feel like when all else fails, they know something that we don't know. And then in these weird, uncertain times, uh, I'm, I'm trusting Vegas on this one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the under. And I think, look, if you want to talk about momentum from last year, the Twins. The Twins have it. They are scary. They hit bombs. <laughs> they score runs. I believe 939 of them. Uh, They signed former MVP, Josh Donaldson, to a four-year contract. They bolstered their rotation. I'm scared.
0: Yeah, Uh, they're at (laughs) (laughs) 34.5 over-under. I mean, that's where they're starting at. And, yeah, I think they shattered the home run record for a a team last year. There's a lot to go through. And then the other part is, oh, yeah, they absolutely kicked our ass last year. Um, It wasn't even close. So, yeah, is it this the – I'll never forget – the year before the Blackhawks won the cup was that year that they played the Red Wings. And, you know, we didn't think we had a shot, but we, the Red Wings still beat us, but you know, we gave them a good effort. It was one of those kind of, we're coming, we're coming seasons for you. And you know what? Hey, if the White Sox win 29 games, if they go 29 and 31, would you really be that upset? White Sox fans, would you really be that bummed out? If they're competitive, they're right there. Let's just say maybe they're 27 and 27 heading into the final couple games of the season, you know, they play the twins of the Indians and maybe they finish a little bit under 500. Would you really be that upset? Or would you actually think that there's momentum forming? Go ahead, Dave. Yeah,
1: and I think, again, like, we keep hammering this point, but I don't think it can be stated enough. I think this season is for us fans. It truly is. And therefore, we have to treat it as that. As Sox fans, we have to be looking at this as, like, Let's see what we have, but we really have to be looking ahead to 2021. I mean, if you just think of the the, the, um, the internal clock of an athlete who's so used to training at this time of the year, playing this time of the year, playing this many games, for a lot of the veterans, this has to feel really weird. You know, there's just something about it that they're, you know, uh, I'll be curious to see, like, are certain guys – in better or worse shape? Like what, what has this like odd uh, time off been like? Or, or you know, uh, how does it play on, on, their, on their mental game? You know, uh, we talked about guys opting out and, and, and we're going to see more and more of that as we get closer or the COVID protocols. And there's going to be a team that gets it, you know? It's just going to happen. Those are facts. And so I think like ultimately, if we can just come out of this season relatively healthy, showing signs of life. I think we should all take that as a win and we should just scrap, you know, the actual win total and be looking to 2021.
0: Yeah. The mere concept health wise of just finishing out the 60 game schedule and playing the playoffs, I think would be a huge win, uh, especially for the fans for sure. And uh, I'm going to make this comment strictly on the field to your point about talking about who's ready, who's not going to be ready. You know, the, the, the training, you know, the, the rhythm, the momentum. I mean, there's going to be a lot of sports Darwinism going on in baseball and basketball about who's ready. You know, when the light turns on, who's running out of the gate, who's stumbling a little bit. And for baseball, there's just not a lot of time to catch your feet. If you stumble out of that, out of that front gate, uh, Mike, I want to ask you, let's just start first over under 31.5 for the White Sox.
2: Well, I'm going to uh, take the positive route and go over just because that's two games above 500. You um, you know, this, this would be the year that the White Sox won another World Series, right? In this aberration of where, like, nobody's going to give a shit that you won the World Series. Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it, too. But, like, you know, in the whole scheme of things, people were like, yeah, that World Series doesn't count. It was 60 games. It was basically, you know, an elongated <laughs> spring training. Oh, man, so, that would drive Indians fans nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we got two and they still have zero. Yeah, you know, and it all goes back to how streaky the White Sox can be. So if they start off hot, I mean, it it could be all, you know, all engines all uh, steaming ahead. But, um, and again, I want to stress that, like, of course, the Twins are 100% the division winner, right? I mean, they have the fourth best odds to win the World Series. So they're definitely, you know, in a tier above the Sox. But again, we don't have to compete with the Twins, the Yankees, the Astros. We have to compete with those, you know, the second-tier teams to get one of those two wild-card spots, which I think is doable, you know. And, and the thing is with, like, even Cleveland, you know, right now, the last I looked, they have the same odds as the Sox. So, I mean, I don't – I'm not scared of Cleveland. I don't know if I should be, but I'm, there's nothing about that lineup that's, like, we can't compete with that lineup. Um, so, yeah, and, and you know, and in terms of, of course, we have to uh, – uh, the, the whole COVID situation has to come into effect. But if there was a sport – of the major sports that was suited for this weirdness it's baseball right because already outside of at bats and then the occasional tag plays and a runner on first it's it's social distancing in general right like there's no uh you know there's no like basketball or football contact on every play where you have to worry about that that constant contact with other human beings um and then the other thing too is like you know again joey you kind of mentioned too with the idea that like You know, with basketball, with football, that you got to get amped up for that, right? There's a certain level of, like, you got to get up to play in those sports. But baseball, it's a pretty even keel. Like, not to say that there isn't an amount of adrenaline that goes into playing professional baseball. I'm sure there is. But of the major sports that's the one where you can kind of show up to the office and hit the playing field right away. Right. So
1: cut to Bartolo cologne, just eating a bunch of fried chicken being like, Oh, time to pitch. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Hey, Fred, the
2: sandwich is literally
0: resting on his belly uh, and he's hands free as he can read a scouting report. Basically. Um, you know, you guys both bring up really good points in terms of the 31.5. I'm with you, Dave. It is kind of a Vegas zone situation. There are 12 different, major league teams that either have an over under at 30 or at up to 31.5 so not everyone's going to do that so you have to really kind of pick and choose which teams you think are going to be able to do that and you know I've been thinking a lot about this I'm so excited to watch the team but I'm probably with you it's a very if gun to my head if I had to put a bet on this it's probably a very 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 slight under my whole thing is you know I was talking to uh, my buddy Ari about a Cubs preview the other night for a different pod. And he brought up the concept of, you know, the way that they're proportionally working it out with the 60 game season. If you lose three games in a row, that is equivalent to losing eight during a regular season. Now three games in a row happens all the time in major league baseball. So it's all going to be about minimizing that. I think with the white Sox, I think they're actually going to be able to minimize that. I think with their offense, I don't think they're going to have to worry about losing three in a row. I think they're going to have to worry about winning three in a row. And that, for me, comes back to fundamentals. It comes back to starting pitching and middle relief. It comes back to the defense. It comes back to on-base percentage. And I could definitely see a scenario where, you know, they're kind of fighting it a little bit, just kind of toggling back and forth, 18 and 19 record, maybe 20 and 19 record fighting for it, maybe right in there with a shouting distance of getting into a wild card situation. And I do think that there could be a scenario where 30 or 31 wins gets you a wild card. It might be just a shade short. I'm not so sure about this team. I do think it is a slight under and I hope I'm wrong. Hop in Dave.
1: Yeah. Well, don't we open against the Indians and the twins? Yes. Isn't, so <laughs> yeah, maybe I mean, we could be uh, we could be heading into uh the second third week here being what uh for real if you start a season
0: yeah if you start a season two and six two and seven you are done in my opinion that's just my first blush right now maybe I'll feel a little bit different when the season gets going because of course before any sport begins you know there is a certain sense of nuance that we all sort of lack we're looking at the paper we're projecting what we think is going to happen and then the little details begin to creep up a little bit but yeah, if you start, if you stumble out of the gate, you're pretty screwed. Yeah, I,
1: I think that's that's the one benefit is we're going to know real quick uh, what yeah, what yeah. kind of season we're going to have. We'll know instantly.
2: Yeah, Mike, hop in. Well, yeah, and, you know, I mentioned this before, but in the course of 162 games, cream always rises to the top, right? That's, you know, a real baseball is very much rotisserie fantasy baseball, and that like that's the best indication of how good your team is because the Cream always rises to the top when you have that many stretches of games, but this is where like this is the one time where and again Vegas always knows. Vegas always knows. It seems like, but if there was ever a year where you'd kind of like throw that out the window, is this because like who? It's so unprecedented. And in sixty games, anybody can get hot. Anybody can. It's just yeah. Like there's no rhyme or reason how that may manifest itself. But to both your guys' point, yeah, that first week, first week and a half. Uh, that's yeah. going to be very indicative of how the socks are going to go. Um, and then real quick on a, on a, a PSA note for uh, fans out there, guys set your uh, Google alerts to find out the next time the socks do the fans cut out. Cause I'm so mad at myself that I didn't see that they were offering that for the first home series where they're basically going to, uh, if you, you could pay to, I think it was only like 50 bucks on top of it, but they're going to do fan cutouts at the first home series. So I would assume they'll do that again. Um, but it's just weird that like something like that, which is kind of a cool way for fans to get involved and then also raise some money for charity. There's only a handful of teams that are doing it in baseball this year. I think there's only six so far. You would think that would grow. And, of course, the Dodgers are charging like $500 to do it. So that's why I hit the Dodgers, as always. But, yeah, uh, set your Googlers. Cardboard cutout dipped in gold. Yeah, uh, set your Googlers because if, if the Sox do it again, you better believe there's going to be a fan cutout of Mike Choi sitting down the third baseline.
0: Yeah, the other one, too, is I, I think they should also do the the fan cutouts, but then also they should do cutouts of great White Sox uh, players in history. Oh, so if cool. it was you sitting there, you know, to fill out all the seats, you know, let's just say eventually you have some open seats. You know, it, it's it's Mike Choi next to Jim Tomey, you know, or, and Minnie Minoso or something like that, or like David Rispoli, Dave Rispoli is sitting next to Mark Burley. And Ozzy Guillen, and I think Ooh, baby. Be an extra. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> who's buying the Who's buying the round of drinks on that one, um, Dave? hop in.
1: The one thing I'll say too is, like, you know, we're talking about we're we're gonna have to start the season hot. You know, we're gonna have to start there. We've been looking pretty good these last couple days. I mean, we look ready to that, play. That is the one, you know, silver lining in all of this to to what Mike's speaking on. Anyone can get hot and oh, baby, baby, We're, the bats are warm right now. And let's just keep them that way. And who knows, man? Who knows?
0: Yeah, and that was, that's a great point. Maybe a great way to finish is everyone that we've talked about so far, except for maybe Mazzara and Madrigal, has hit the ball sharply in the last two days. And, again, it's going to be coming out of the gate swinging. And, yeah, if you can put together, gosh, put together a 6-7 game winning streak in this season, in this stretch, you're kind of set, right? All you got to do is just play 500 baseball after that, and you're pretty much cruising to the playoffs. So getting off to a hot start is always a great idea. David Display, Mike Choi, thank you so much for joining us. This was the Chicago White Sox preview for the 2020 season. The 60-game sprint, if you will. Summer camp is almost over. Baseball is right around the corner. And this was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Continuing with another pod of Baseball Week. Baseball's coming on Friday, you guys. We're going to have plenty more to talk about. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was brought to you by Simply Safe. Have a wonderful day. And again, be safe, be kind, be good to each other, and we'll talk soon.
2: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.